0: Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. We talk NFL and college football pintglassfootball.com is the website. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler. What's up, PGF Nation? Championship Sunday is in the books. The Super Bowl matchup is set. We're going to give you our thoughts on the AFC and NFC championships. Some coaches are getting heat, Alex. We're going to fan the flames today, guys, plus some coaching hires around the NFL to discuss. But joining me to break it all down, my co-host. Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on?
1: I love this time of the year. We had some exciting games. One that might have not had the fireworks that we thought it should have, but we definitely got one. And boy, wait till we get to that game.
0: Man, absolutely. Because like I said, there's some coaches catching some heat and, and we're going to turn it up on them because we saw some things in this game that, wow, I, I yeah, I can't wait to get into it, Alex. Let's start with the AFC Championship and and I want to start specifically with the Ravens because this was one of the worst offensive game plans I've ever seen in a big game. Where do I even start here, Alex? This, this was so hard to watch. Lamar Jackson throws the ball 37 times, only two quarterback design runs in this entire game. The Ravens only handed it off to their running backs six times in this entire game, the fact that they did not try to establish a run early and often in this game was shocking. This is the number one ranked rushing offense in the entire league this ent- this season. They just watched Josh Allen and the Bills run all over the Chiefs last week. You were handed the blueprint, Baltimore, on how to beat this team, and you crumpled it up and threw it in the trash.
1: Yeah, Brad, I mean... We're still, to this date, as we are recording on a Tuesday, still waiting to hear from Todd Munkin. I don't believe we have heard from them. Excuse me, I've heard from him. Of course, we've heard from the head coach, but we have not heard. So that leads me to believe that there's some covering that's happening here. The Ravens organization from a head coach on up is usually really, truly buttoned up tight. This is the first time I'm, I, I can remember that I'm seeing some dissension among the ranks in terms of what really happened and what's going on. Because it, to your point, it's unexplainable what we watched on Sunday.
0: It, it really is, Alex. And, and you're right. That's a good point, actually. I'm glad you brought that up because I think he is trying to avoid this heat right now because let's face it, we're not the first people here to get on a microphone and blast this guy. It's been everywhere. Every radio station, podcast, you know, sports TV show, you name it. Tough to wrap your your mind around because the Ravens have a better running back room than the Bills, and Lamar Jackson is a faster, more elusive version of Josh Allen when he runs with the ball. Last week, Josh Allen ran all over the place, especially outside the tackle box. So my thinking going going into this game was, look, the Ravens, they might run for 150 yards easily in this game, especially with Willie Gay out. They just tried to force-feed the pass against a team that's got a really good secondary. I mean, that's the strength of this Chiefs defense, and they just continue to drop back and throw. I was expecting some power running game outside the tackles, get Lamar moving, get these running backs involved, but they just never did it. During the regular season, the Ravens ran over 50% of the time on first down. Last Sunday, they called only five run plays on 22 first and 10 situations against a team that's 28th in the league in EPA against the run. That is the weakness of this defense. It's obvious. It doesn't make any sense. And it's not like this game was ever out of hand. I mean, it's not like they were down a couple scores and they were forced to throw to get back into this game. It was just mind-boggling, Alex. When it was a fourth and one And the game is basically on the line. What do they do? They bring in an extra offensive lineman. They went tackle over and they ran the ball and broke a big run by Lamar Jackson. I don't know why they didn't go back to that at any point. Hell, I don't know why they didn't open the game with that. Lamar was really good throwing from the pocket this year in this new offense. We talked about it all year, the improvement we saw from him. But this is still a run first football team. Where the run game sets up the pass, and they completely lost their identity in this game.
1: Everything you said is true, Brad. So I, I don't think I have too much to add on to there. There are some of the things that I want to talk about because it's going into coming into this week. We talked about on last pod what we wanted to see that it was going to be Spags versus Lamar in the offense and who would win that specific battle. We figured. Mahomes would be able to figure out his way and get through the minutiae of what they do on defense with Baltimore. But it was really going to be what Spags does against Lamar. Now, again, acknowledging everything that you said is true. There were some big plays because this is only a 17 to 10 game. So there were some big plays that Lamar missed with clean pockets sitting in the pocket. He missed a throw that he finally ended up making to Nelson Aguilar. He missed it about two other times. There was one that he missed to OBJ wide open, and then there was another that he missed to Nelson Aguilar wide open, then not to mention that terrible throw into the end zone. I'm sorry, Ravens fans. I, I don't really care about the fact you think it was or if you feel that specific play was passing in There was another play in in the outside of the end zone, that was, I believe, against Isaiah, likely that 1,000% we can we can agree on. But that last one into the end zone, you know, the the rest swallowed the whistle properly. What I'll say is this. Going into halftime, I said, okay, the game is going to be won right now. When they go into halftime, it's going to be the adjustments that the Ravens makes, and it's going to be the adjustment that Spags made. The adjustment the Ravens made was nothing. The adjustment that Spags made was, you know what? I know you're not going down the field nor do I think you can go down the field, and I trust my two corners and Snead and McDuffie to cover your guys down the field that I'm going to drop Justin Reed and play single high safety, and I'm going to blitz him from one side, and I'm going to tell Drew Tranquil to be disciplined on the other side so when you flush out, he's right there. So it's a win-win for me. In a situation like that, When we're talking, when we start talking about quarterbacking, when you see single high safety, this is even a rule in Madden it's like okay somebody has to go streaking down the field we have to figure something out because one side of the field is going to be open this is upon the quarterback to start to raise the level of his play to say okay I see you're dropping him because they blitzed Justin Reed several times and and he was not blitzing from his safety position he dropped down into the box so you could that's that's pre-snap read that means you need to be changing the you need to be Calling an audible at the line, changing Isaiah Likely's route, changing Zay Flowers' route, or whoever whoever is on the field, you now need to make up the play on the fly because you see they're doing it again and they're daring you to beat them. And that is on Lamar. I'm okay with blaming Todd Munkin, but there's a point in time when you as a quarterback, when people start putting you up into an elk, and it's why I always say there is only one elite quarterback in this league. Not several. One. Because something like that, I guarantee you Patrick Mahomes is not going to miss and you will not be able to get it off on him several times without making the adjustments yourself on the fly. So those are some of the things that I have to look at in terms of what Lamar was not doing on the field with what he had control of that he did not take advantage of to help put this team into a better position.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Lamar missed on several throws and it became clear that Spags noticed like, look, you're not going to run the ball. Then we're just going to send heavy blitzes. Like you mentioned, we're going to play a single high safety and we're just going to play the pass because it it became clear that they were going to run the football. They were throwing on first down, second down. It seemed like every time they dropped back, they're in these spread formations trying to air it out. It played right into the chief's hands. Jackson had opportunities this game. He didn't take advantage of several of them. But I go back to the play calling again, where when you see a team teeing off on you, playing that type of coverage, daring you to run the football, and you still don't, I've got to put the blame back on the coordinator for not making those adjustments, not helping his quarterback out, taking some pressure away from the quarterback by running the ball, which neutralizes that blitz and all that pressure, gets them out of some of those coverages. And they just never did it. They just never got back to it at all. And let alone, if you're not going to hand it off, set up some design plays for Lamar to get out and run with the ball. We know how dynamic he is on the ground. You know, a Patrick Mahomes, a, a Brady, one you know, an elite passing quarterback would have hit several of those plays. Lamar didn't. But you got to help your quarterback out, especially when you can see that he is struggling and he's not playing his A game. I think it's even more pivotal as a play caller to be like, okay, let's try to generate some easy throws. Let's try to set up some screens. Let's try to run the ball. Let's try to get some tight end dump offs and some things that can kind of get my quarterback in a comfort zone and kind of get the ball moving here. And I never saw any adjustments from this offense, from Harbaugh, nobody. It's like they just left him out on an island this entire game. And going into this game, Alex, if you would have told me that the Ravens We're going to hold the Chiefs to 17 points, shut them out in the second half. I would have guessed that the Ravens blow them out. And I I would have thought for sure, okay, that's a blowout win for the Ravens. The Chiefs came out sharp. That scripted first drive, scored a touchdown, had another nice touchdown drive the next possession. But really after that, Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator for the Ravens, made some big-time adjustments, and they basically shut down KC. Everything in this game was dink and dunk for Mahomes. Other than the final pass to MVS to to seal the game, Mahomes completed only one pass over 20 yards, and that was a 21-yard passing play to Kelsey in the first half. Pacheco ran the ball for only 2.8 yards per carry. They stopped the run. They limited Mahomes. I mean, they just took everything away. There was no explosive plays at all. It was punt, 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 punt the whole entire second half. The Ravens defense did exactly what I thought they would do going into this game. Once again, it was the offensive play calling in that game plan that was just beyond shocking. The, look, the Ravens didn't lose this game on Sunday. They lost this game on Tuesday. They lost this game on Wednesday when they decided to install that game plan.
1: So, Brad, you're absolutely right. So I'll, I'll say this, you know, and kudos does deserve to go to Mike McDonald for what he did against the Chiefs in the in the second half. What I will say about this is first scripted play drive by the Chiefs was we're going to keep Roquan Smith point where we know exactly where he is at all times. That's the first thing they did because they came out immediately with three wide receivers sending the receiver, sending the running back out of the backfield. They also has at some time, at some points had four wide receiver or four receivers rather on the field. And they negated a lot of what the Ravens defense does because what they did was they kept Patrick queen and Roquan Smith in coverage. And they stopped the big time matchup that we thought we were going to see, which was Kyle Hamilton and Travis Kelsey, we didn't see it the way that we thought we were going to see, especially in that first half, because the routes they were running, they were keeping Kyle Hamilton busy in the backfield because they were sending Scantling down the field, whether they threw to him whether they threw to him or not, they had to respect it. They were sending Rasheed Rice down the field a little bit and then they were doing a lot intermittently in what we saw Travis Kelsey have a Travis Kelsey type of game. I think at one point, Mahomes was either 12 for 12. At least I know he was definitely 10 for 10. I think he stopped at where he had, had hit 12 straight completions in a row. Kept the linebackers from making a lot of the big plays that we are accustomed to seeing them do. You know, when I looked at the, the stat sheet, I did not realize that Mahomes had been sacked two times because it felt like there was no pass rush on him at any point in time but I felt like I saw Lamar running for his life a lot watching that game. I was looking at that Ravens sideline and they were frustrated. They were, and I'm not just talking about the bang of the helmet where Zay flowers lacerated his hand. I'm just talking about, you could see confusion. You saw dejected players. You saw coaches not trying to fire players. It was just very under Raven. Like what I saw on that sideline, and if you're an opponent and you can look on that side of the and you can look on that side of the field or somebody's radioing down to you from the booth that's looking at the TV screen saying, hey, man, they are over there, they're disheveled. They don't know what's going on. You smell blood in the water. Get out the way. There's some blood on the floor. They don't step in it. And I just felt that they said, you know what, we're not going to play with our food here. We're going to be meticulous. We're going to be careful. And if we need to take a shot, we'll take a shot. A lot to what we saw with Scantling, who all of a sudden can finally make that play. That play's been there all season long, and hes they've literally lost games on it. Hello, Philly. But they took the shot when necessary, and the part about Pacheco running, they ran 32 times for 89 yards. One of the things that I thought was a key, that was going to be a key to the game, was how many times they ran the ball and not running from the challenge, even though it wasn't highly successful. I look at... The Colts. the Colts ran the ball, and they ended up getting some success towards the end of the game, but they ran the ball 35 times for 139 yards. Pittsburgh ran it for 27 times for 139 yards. So it's just a matter of consistency, of continuously running the ball, saying, I'm not scared of you, consistently keeping them honest. They have to respect it. They kept them honest no matter what, and they stayed consistent. And I think the theme, if we ever did titles for shows, Brad, I think consistency should be the tell of this show because, boy, wait till we get to this next game.
0: To finish my last thoughts on this game, when you look at Mahomes in this game, they, they took everything away. That that defensive secondary, especially in the second half, really after those first two drives, I mean, they were lights out. They, they took everything away. There was no explosive plays in this game. Everything was underneath. I, I mean, I could not be more impressed. When I look at Mike McDonald being... You know, talked about as a head coach, it is obvious why, because this guy is a brilliant X's and O's defensive mind. His game plan was almost flawless and he adjusted on the fly. Like I said, after those first two drives, man, they tightened it up and were absolutely in this game despite the fact that their offense was miserable. Now, the Zay Flowers fumble at the goal line, I mean, that was a game changer. That was such a huge pivotal play in this game. If they score there, I mean I think this is a different game completely. I'm not saying they necessarily win, but it changes the game. Lamar's pick in the end zone that you talked about, that was a terrible throw, triple coverage just a throw you can't make when you're a veteran quarterback in this league. It looked to me like he was just feeling the pressure to make a big play there and tried to force one, but it was a costly mistake. And that's what's really so shocking here. This game was never out of reach for Baltimore. It's not like the Chiefs were lighting up the scoreboard. This wasn't the Tyree kill days where you feel pressure to put up points. Your defense was playing lights out. You were in a tight game, and the offense it just felt like the whole time, like they were reeling. They, were, they had this pressure to get points on the board. The Ravens were really just not very buttoned up in this game. We saw the penalties, the dumb mistakes, the things that just cost them in key situations in this game. We didn't see that from the Chiefs, and that was a big difference in this game.
1: Hey, you know what, Brad? Lastly, before we wrap this up, the real big winners here, Las Vegas, because all of the money was all on Baltimore here. So when you see you're driving down the strip, you see that brand new hotel. Those of you that built on Baltimore know that you contributed to that.
0: Was that a shot at your co-host here Alex cuz I did bet Baltimore. Well, <laughs> no no game. no.
1: Not necessarily, not necessarily, but I was but I was hearing someone talk about the earning the winnings on the Vegas side because how much so much money. I think it was about 78% of the money was all on Baltimore. So, yeah, Vegas won here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know what was fascinating was the betting line for this game. It opened At the Ravens as a three-point favorite, it jumped to three-and-a-half, and and I was feeling like the Ravens had the advantage, like we had talked about when we previewed this game. I thought the Ravens being at home with the better roster, the deeper roster, I felt like this was a good opportunity for them to win this game. And, And I mentioned, I didn't feel great about it, because anytime you're going up against Reed and Mahomes, it's always kind of scary. But I felt like it was a good situation for Baltimore and I felt like they were the better team, at least on paper. I think when the line jumped to four, that was really telling because the sharp money at that point was all over Baltimore. And I always talk about betting on this podcast. We always talk about follow the sharp money, fade the public. Well, the sharp money was on Baltimore. A lot of professional bettors were all over Baltimore in this game, and I think they saw what I saw going into this, which was, They're just the deeper, better team at so many positions. But when you come out with a crappy game plan like that and you completely play into the Chiefs' hands, I mean, this is what happens. You end up losing a game that I know Harbaugh and this coaching staff watching this tape, they have got to be sick knowing that this is not Ravens football. This is not the team we saw all year long that led the league in rushing. It was perplexing to watch. They let this one get away because this was a close game. Their defense kept them in this game, and their offense really, really let them down big. Underdog fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. I personally love the pick 'em game. Just pick between two and five players to build a pick 'em entry. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Download the Underdog Fantasy app and sign up today with promo code PGF. That's promo code PGF to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. The official ticketing app of Pint Glass Football is now SeatGeek. I can't recommend them enough, guys. I've been using SeatGeek for years. You want to go to a game this season? SeatGeek is here to take the confusion out of buying tickets, making sure you get the best seats at the best prices. With SeatGeek, you'll never have to worry about overpaying for tickets again. How? They put a 0-10 to score on each ticket, so you know you're getting a good deal. But here's the real game changer. You can get $20 off your first ticket purchase with the code PGFPOD. That's right, $20 off with code PGFPOD. This season, make every game day epic with SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek app and remember to enter the code PGFPOD to grab your $20 discount. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord grape and lemon lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web based podcasting solution. It provides high quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP And you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. The NFC Championship game. This game was crazy. We had a big comeback before we jump into this game, though, let, let's address what everyone is talking about. The two fourth down decisions to go for it from Dan Campbell. Two fourth down gambles that, look, the analytics types have already rushed to Dan Campbell's defense. And, and look, I'm not saying analytics doesn't have a place in sports. I think it does. But once again, this overly aggressive play calling that we see week in and week out from NFL and college football coaches in recent years, is costing a lot of these teams wins. Look, people can talk numbers and data, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. The only numbers that matter are on the scoreboard. Outscore your opponent, you win the game. It's that simple. We have really just overcomplicated the game with analytics. Going for it in the fourth with a chance to tie the game, and he decides to go for it there, I I could really just not wrap my head my head around it at all, Alex.
1: Out of all of the weeks, this is the week where I think we had the most egregious WTF moments of the year in terms of both of these games. Now, one thing I'll say about the going for on fourth down, I get it. It's gritty. It's gutsy. You know, you never know if you're going to be here again. I know that it's something that he's kind of prided himself on. He wasn't as loose with it as, say, a Brandon Staley was this year outside of what we saw against the Cowboys. However, in the first quarter, they were really putting their foot and pressing down on the neck of the San Francisco 49ers. At the end of the half, at the three or four yard line, that was a time I thought they should have gone for it on fourth down. You're already up twenty-one to seven. Although they get the ball back, you really put a dent into what they do. I think you should go for the jugular here. I would have been fine with that decision. Once we got into the second half, where we knew there were going to be some adjustments made on Kyle Shanahan's part, I felt that you should have been now been playing to win the game in terms of playing smart. Let's just make sure we stay. Consistent and they weren't. Instead, actually, to his, actually, you know what? He actually was consistent. It was just very Desk. These are, and, and I will continue to say, these are things that I do when I play Madden. I just simply go for the fourth. I don't care down distance points or anything. That's just something I do. And in real life and in, in the NFL and in, at these high stakes, you cannot make these decisions. I thought those players deserve more than that. I don't care if the player said, yes, we agreed with it. Your position as head coach. A different state is to act as parent. Just because the child wants to go out and play in the middle of the street doesn't mean that you should allow them. That's your job to control and make the right decisions when to push for something, when to pull back and say, no, we're good with the points and keep moving forward. But 1000%, you know, we'll get into it some more, but 1000%. San Francisco did not win this game, Detroit lost it. With
0: this game, especially like you said, in these big moments, these fourth downs, which really have become highlighted, and for good reason, it got me thinking about earlier this year, Alex, there was a big-time college football game between Oregon and Washington. Top 10 matchup, we talked about the game on the podcast, Dan Lanning going for it three times in that game on fourth down, not converting any of them, and Oregon ends up losing by three at the end of the game. I said it then, and I'll say it again. Analytics and numbers don't factor in momentum, period. Look, any stat nerd that claims momentum isn't real doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. You didn't have to play pro sports to know that momentum exists in sports. And when you go for it and you come up short, it can be crushing. And when the Niners stopped Detroit on fourth down, you could feel the momentum swing back to the Niners, and it helped propel this comeback. And look, I don't want to take anything away from the Niners. They played played great in the second half. They made big plays. They made an all-time playoff comeback. But the Lions beat themselves so many times in this game, to your point, Alex. Josh Reynolds, the big fourth down drop. Actually, there was multiple big drops by the Lions in this game. That was just a big highlighted one. The failed interception that ended up being a big Ayuk completion, Gibbs fumbles, Josh Reynolds wide open drop on third down, Jamison Williams touchdown pass goes right through his hands, and then of course failed fourth down in field goal range twice. Yes, we're beating up on Dan Campbell and the decision making to go for it because it was big and it was those plays were huge, but this was a team loss by the Lions who failed on a lot of different ways and a lot of different key moments in this game that you could point back to where if they made some of these plays that I mentioned, this might be a different outcome. C.J. Uh, C. Gardner-Johnson waving goodbye to the 49ers fans in the second quarter when they went up 20-7. to I think just the lack of experience in this spot by, by really both the Ravens and the Lions for that matter, I think it really showed up versus two teams that both have a lot of players and a lot of coaches who have been here before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the memes going around from CJ Garner Johnson of him waving and then his look on the sideline, <laughs> you know, split with that look on the sideline as the 49ers went scored and went up on top of them. But I will say here, did you know, we talk about it like we did with the last game and I, we spoke about the execution of players. We talked about the quarterback play. We talked about the coaching. We talked about the coordinators. We do have to mention Ben, Jans- ben Johnson, who we'll talk about some more later as well, because 21 to 9. 21 to nine was the run pass ratio in the second half. They were 20 for 20, even going into halftime. They rushed 20 times. They passed 20 times and they went into, and they went into halftime up 24 seven. This is the, again, like I said it before, like I said it earlier, if we were naming these podcasts, the name of this one would just simply be consistency had Ben Johnson and Dan Campbell and the coaching staff simply remained consistent on the offensive side of the ball. Perhaps there's not enough time for San Francisco to rip off 27 points in the second half because you're eating up clock with the run. They simply stopped running the ball, specifically after Gibbs fumbled or after San Francisco scored. And then San Francisco went down and scored again. They were still up. You could still play your game. Run the ball. Simply go back. Okay, you know what? How do we get up? We got up 24 We got up uh, 17 points by simply running the ball on the pin and pull something that we spoke about, and they were utilizing it. Okay, let's go back to basically – let's get right back to what we do best. Stay consistent. We just talked about what it was with the Chiefs in terms of the running game at 2.8 yards a clip. They stayed consistent. Stay consistent. You were winning the line of scrimmage when you rushed the ball. That's all you had to do, and despite all the mistakes, despite all the drops, I guarantee you Detroit would have been in a better position to win this game had they simply stayed consistent running the ball.
0: Absolutely, Alex. And, and that's something we talked about, and I mentioned too when we were previewing this game last week. I talked about how the Lions had to be watching that Green Bay tape and thinking, man, if Green Bay can run like this, think what we can do. I I pointed out that I thought that that could be a problem for the 49ers, and it's a reason why, even though I picked San Francisco, I said Detroit is probably going to cover this game, and there's an upset alert here because I thought Detroit had a real chance to win this game, and clearly it showed, but you're right. They got away from their DNA. That 49ers rush defense was getting smashed in the first half. We were texting during the first half about Wilkes maybe getting fired. I mean, that's how bad it was going for them. They made some adjustments, and I'll give them some credit there, and the defense really did turn it up in the second half. But kind of similar to what I talked about with the Ravens game plan, you played into their hand by going away from the run. For the 49ers, Brock Purdy wasn't great in this game, but once again, Alex, this is a guy who made big plays when it mattered most, and this is two weeks in a row now for him. Every game, he has three or four throws. There's always about three or four throws in every game that are just special. He makes these special throws in big spots where he just is pinpoint accurate and puts it on the money. It's a big third down. It's a big spot where you just need to move the chains, and he seems to do it when it matters. He picked up three huge first downs with his legs in this game, very instinctive, reads the defense, sees they're in man coverage, sees that he has room. The guy is sneaky athletic, clearly. I mean, we've seen him with really nice mobility getting in and out of the pocket and picking up yards here and there. But he looks pretty quick, actually. There was a few times there where I was like, wow, he's really getting up and getting some big chunk plays here with his legs. He escaped multiple sacks in this game. I mean, there was times where he looked like he was dead to rights, was able to elude the rush, get out of the pocket and made some plays, kept some plays alive. This is a guy who's really shown me that he just isn't phased in these big games. And for a young quarterback, that's really impressive. And he's also not phased by playing from behind, which, look, Shanahan hasn't had that at quarterback. If you look at this stretch in this 49ers era before Purdy, that was something that they really lacked. And they've got to feel confident knowing now that if they get in a hole here, it's not over for them anymore like it was before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know using, I think the real point that you spoke about using his legs and some of those critical things. I know there's been a lot of talk with Purdy. Is he a system QB? Well, every QB is a system QB. Is he just a game manager? Well, every QB needs to learn to be a game manager. I, if I'm not mistaken, we just watched Patrick Mahomes be a game manager in the game that he just played. So you need to know when to push, when to pull. This guy, again. Albeit, this is his, I really, we've only seen for me about a full uh, year, uh, a year and a half, maybe a little bit over that. But now he's healthy. We saw what he does when he's healthy. We saw what he does when he's down. This is twice. This is two weeks in a row in elimination games that the 49ers have come back and not only come back, but come back to win the game on some special plays by Purdy. We talked about it last week against Green Bay, that the ability to make that perfect pinpoint pass to Ayuk for the first down to keep that drive alive. And then again, we watched him run a few different play, run a few different times, showing off that mobility. Some of the things that people talked about Garoppolo Garoppolo lacking to the scalability is what he did and get down the field. He had about 50 yards rushing, if I'm not mistaken. So he's been very good in key situations. He doesn't necessarily, he doesn't have to be elite. It's about during a time of need, can you make a big play? These are the things that you like from Joe Flacco, not an elite quarterback. These are the things that you like from Eli Manning, not an elite quarterback. They just know what to do when the heat is on. They know what buttons to press to get the team over the hump. And that's why you you don't always need an elite first-round quarterback pick to win in this league. You simply need a quarterback that understands situational play to get the play done that's needed in that time. And that's what we've been seeing from Brock Purdy.
0: My last points here on this 49ers game before we before we shift gears here. Christian McCaffrey was what we expected. He, he was awesome. I mean, he was awesome. We expected him to be a big impact guy. We knew that he was going to have to be an impact guy in this game, and he lived up to it. Debo Samuel was a problem for Detroit. I mean, he had a lot of big-time plays, and this team, they just are so tough to defend. When he is out there, I've mentioned it on prior episodes, but when this guy gets the ball in his hands, he turns into a running back. He's such a physical wide receiver. I know he plays kind of a hybrid role, and he does get carries in the backfield. It's it's part of what makes him such a special player. But, man, he just had a lot of big key plays for this team. I think San Francisco, the bottom line here is they just made more big plays. and Detroit no pun intended, dropped the ball in a lot of big situations here. And I think San Francisco and their physicality, I think it just kind of took over in the second half. Detroit just didn't quite look ready on that big stage.
1: I'm happy that you brought him up, but definitely, definitely Christian McCaffrey is a dude. It is going to be real interesting. And I have a lot of hot takes as we get into breaking down next week, when we get into breaking down the Super Bowl.
0: Alex, some NFL coaching news. As we know, this time of year, a lot of coaching moves around the league. We've seen a lot of head coaching hires. We've spoke about a few on the last couple episodes. We've also seen some coordinator positions get filled. Ben Johnson, some news broke recently. Lions offensive coordinator apparently is, it looks like he's going to return for Detroit, which quite frankly is absolutely huge for this young Lions team. If they want to try to get back into this position next year.
1: Yeah, that is a huge keep for the Lions and not always the norm. When you when the iron is hot, you strike, you know, you don't you don't let these jobs just fall by the wayside, especially when, you know, you something can happen at any point in time where you're now no longer the hot guy. I mean, was it not just a year ago or two years, within the last two years that Dan Quinn was the one of the hottest coordinators on the market, not getting any looks, not very lukewarm out there on him right now? Whereas two years ago, he probably had his pick of the litter. I'm very surprised that he decided to return to Detroit because, again, you do not get these opportunities are fleeting. There's only 32 of them in the world, and to turn one down. You have to be very comfortable in the space that you're in. And perhaps you want to finish the job or perhaps that's not where you wanted to go. And you're comfortable in your current position. But I'm very surprised that he was returning to Detroit. He's
0: got a good situation there. And maybe he's looking at this like, hey, we still have a Super Bowl window here. The allure of staying in Detroit and maybe going after a ring meant more to him at this time, knowing that possibly some head coaching jobs will be open in the future for him. I'm with you, though. It seems like you got a strike when the iron's hot. Definitely a surprising move there. One of the more surprising hires we've seen recently, Alex, Raheem Morris, gets the job in Atlanta. I think the reason this is surprising to most is because Bill Belichick had interviewed twice for this job, and there was a lot of people thinking that he was definitely going to be the guy here. And kind of at the last moment, it turns out Bill Belichick's out. Raheem Morris is in. Was this the most surprising hire that we've seen so far?
1: Who it was? Yes. The fact that Bill Belichick didn't get it, no. But definitely, I wasn't thinking that it would have been Raheem Morris. And in, in that sense, I thought they might have gone in a different direction. Maybe he wasn't their for first choice. Maybe he was, I guess, I'm, a, I'm going to assume Ben Johnson probably interviewed here as well. And maybe because they knew that was looming, they decided to go in this direction. But definitely not surprised that they didn't hire that Bill Belichick is still sitting outside.
0: Speaking of the Patriots, they decided to hire Gerard Mayo, basically upgrade his position on the staff to the head coaching job, I know a lot of people thought that he was a guy that could potentially take this, take over this role. To me, Alex, look, nothing against Gerard Mayo. He potentially could be a great coach, right? We, we don't know. First-time coach, you never really know what you're going to get. But if you're going to get rid of the legend, why bring in a guy who only learned from the legend?
1: I, I can only think that, you know, we had been hearing Gerard Mayo's name over the past two to three seasons. Perhaps he had been circulating the uh, interview status a lot uh, over the past two to three years. So I knew he was a potential candidate. Perhaps Robert Kraft felt comfortable, felt that they wanted to not stray too far from what had been a winning culture This was the year that it fell off. This was the year that it truly fell off the rails and it looked like nobody. It looked rigid. It looked old. It looked out of touch. Even though we had felt that probably for the past two to three years, but it really showed on the field. And I think it was the right time for them to separate. And perhaps, you know, Gerard Mayo has that same grit, but he brings it with a youthful attitude that may be more palatable for some of these players coming in. But, it's going to be important to see similar to the Raiders and similar to any, a lot of these defensive coordinators are uh, Raheem Morris, who actually took an, a rock star at offense coordinators and Zach Robinson, but it's really going to come down to who does Gerard Mayo have as an offensive coordinator is he going to try and bring back mcdaniels what is he going to do here to make sure that whoever they get whether it be jane daniels drake or they try and trade up or whatever it is that they do that they try to get this offense into 2024 and not 1994 this offense needs to truly be updated because you tom brady's not coming through those doors again even though he's coming through the doors of fox wink wink Dan Morgan, which people have been looking at him as a rock star, former uh, Panthers linebacker, is now the new GM of the Carolina Panthers. And Joe Horitz, you know, one hardball looking out for the other hardball, Joe Horowitz from the Ozzie Newsome tree coming from the Ravens and now over to the Chargers to help brother Jim put together the staff and put together a team over there in Los Angeles for the Chargers.
0: Speaking of the Chargers, Alex, how about Kellen Moore going to the Eagles? as their new offensive coordinator. Now they also hired Vic Fangio on the defensive side of the ball. What are your thoughts here on these two hires?
1: Vic Fangio, we know was that was always his thought process in terms of going to the Eagles. It was just that I forgot what the issue was why they didn't hire him and he didn't decided to go to the Dolphins, which is why this is simply a lateral move that wherever Vic Fangio is gone, if you look at that Denver defense, this recent Miami defense, he got it from, I think, 12 to now, I believe they were actually 15 or 16, and now they were at at 10 uh, ending the season, so he had them trending up as well. With this team, with that defensive line, I think he's going to be able to put some things together well, so I like it. Kellen Moore, if I listen to Cowboys fans, the reason they got rid of him is because he never ran. You know, there were odds and Brad, you share some spaces that I there were odds that we were betting that on the over of 700 attempts for Justin Herbert coming into this season. Obviously, he got hurt. So that goes out the window. But we were looking at the over on terms of Justin Herbert having 700 attempts this year. And now he goes to the Eagles. I kind of don't know what's going on.
0: Yeah, I don't like it from a philosophical standpoint. I think it's a terrible match. Now, Vic Fangio, I'm with you. I feel like that's a home run hire. The defense was a mess. You bring in one of the best defensive minds in the game, a guy who's been copycatted all over his principles. He's got fingerprints all over this league. People are running defensive schemes and styles similar to the things that Vic Fangio started doing in this league years ago. That defense is going to instantly improve the second he arrives in Philadelphia. But Kellen Moore in, in in Philly doesn't make any sense at all. This is a pass-happy offensive coordinator. You, you joked about the passing attempts for Herbert. But look, there's a reason that M- Mike McCarthy wanted to take over the play-calling duties in Dallas. And he Mike McCarthy went on record and said because they want to run the damn ball. He said that because they he felt like they were getting way too far away from that. Well, Dak had one of his worst years of his careers his last season with Kellen Moore. Now, I know Justin Herbert got hurt, but he wasn't exactly having a very good year either and probably having his worst season as a pro under Kellen Moore as well. Now you bring him into a team that is really at its best when they're a run first team that sets up things off play action with RPO, getting Jalen hurts out of the pocket and rolling out and and attacking after running the ball. I I don't like anything about this hire. I think it's a terrible, terrible fit for Jalen hurts in this offense. Now, another offensive coordinator hire that I think was really interesting that we got to touch on here today, right before we basically went to record this, Arthur Smith, former Atlanta Falcons head coach, former Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator, is going to take over the offensive coordinator job for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We saw that the Steelers offense was pretty much a mess all season. They ended up firing Matt Canada in season because it got so off the rails now they bring in arthur smith to take over that role what are your thoughts on that hire alex
1: we don't believe in that quarterback room we don't but we never believed in kenny pickett so arthur smith if you can do anything here you may salvage yourself as being able to rebuild a quarterback similar to what we kind of thought we saw with you even though there's a derrick henry aspect to what you did in tennessee and then what you didn't do even when you had a very good running back and B. John Robinson with Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke, you couldn't do anything there. So maybe you can salvage what people think of you here. If you could do anything with Kenny Pickett, because the Pittsburgh Steelers have been backdooring it into the playoffs whenever, whenever they've gotten over the past five seasons.
0: Yeah. I, I, on paper, I'm not sure I really like this hire. Now look, you hit on it. I think anybody would have been an improvement over what they had with Matt Canada. It was a mess. Arthur Smith, though, if you look at what he did as an offensive coordinator, Tennessee, you can highlight some good things that he did. But I'm with you. I think some of it comes back to the fact that you had Derrick Henry in his prime at running back. And I wonder how much of it was actually him and how much of it was actually his play calling and play design, because a good coordinator, a good play caller, a good play designer should elevate his players. Well, we didn't see any of that take place in Atlanta the last three years. We saw them draft in the top 10 multiple years. Take guys like Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and Bijan Robinson, and none of them ever were elevated by his play calling or offense. Actually, quite the opposite. It was a big disappointment there on the offensive side of the ball. So I have real question marks about this hire and if it's going to work in Pittsburgh. If you enjoy the podcast, do us a favor and subscribe. Rate and review on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Tell a friend about the show or share it on social media because, guys, we really appreciate it. But once again, I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.